Super Yacht Radio. Making you feel good all, all day, day long. long. Life After Yachting by TUVYC, created to help yacht crew move from onboard to onshore careers. Welcome to Life After Yachting, the new platform that helps yacht crew move from onboard to onshore. We have the pleasure of being joined today by Will Famatia, Director of Bond Technology Management and Consultancy, the leading technical management company for onboard audiovisual IT, comm, security and navigation systems for super yacht new builds and refit projects. Will, thank you for joining us today. Good afternoon. Thank you, Maeve. Pleasure to be here. So, um, Will, you must have an interesting story yourself, because I believe um, in yesteryear you were a yachty yourself. Yes. Um, yeah, a long time ago I was uh, given the opportunity to uh, be involved in a yacht build uh, called Coral Island in 1994. And I largely got presented the opportunity because I was teaching GMDSS at the time <clears throat> as an engineer for Honeywell. And I taught a gentleman, Richard Morris, who's still in the, in the industry, who said that, uh, talk, talk to me about the yacht industry and showed me pictures of, it was Trump Princess back then that he was working on as a deckhand. And I just could not get my head around somebody owning an 87-metre yacht, which I think she is. Um, <clears throat> yes, so I was very interested, and I think two years later he came up with the idea that perhaps Coral Island uh, needed, uh, let's say, an, Captain wanted an ETO, not a traditional radio officer who, let's say, knew Morse and uh, valve technology, he wanted someone that, you know, knew let's say that more about communications, computers, and especially GMDSS. And yeah, by, I think December 1994, I had quit my job at Honeywell and was on my way to to Fiegesack in Germany and, and started there. And um, you continued work then as an ETO. I mean, that must have been interesting times because uh, certainly from... What I know, I mean, Supiot systems at that stage were a lot more, um, should we say, um, I don't want to say retro, but basic in comparison to even what's come in in the past 10 or 15 years. I mean, starting out, it, I presume it was a much simpler system that evolved rapidly in your time? Yes, let's say the complexity of the systems were similar, but they weren't as robust. So, I mean, even the, let's say, the CTEL dishes required a lot of balancing, um, manual balancing, because they had 
gyro motors, keeping them stabilized, the, the network topology infrastructure uh, was over coax. Um, what else was there? The I remember the captain. <clears throat> I was I asked him if uh, I should set up a, an email account for every for the crew, and he sort of he smiled at me and said, "But we have a fax machine, <laughs> need." <laughs> which which at the time, I mean, it was it was you know it was coming through. I mean, it was there, but it clearly wasn't prevalent in for yachting at that point, and. I had not come from the yachting side, so I'd gone straight from Sydney to Fegazuk and hadn't even been to Antibes or seen any other of the yachts. So I wasn't really familiar with what was expected. Back in those days, you know, you were, you were brought on board to learn the system that was decided to be put on board and you were there to operate it and not decide what was put on board. Yeah, very different times because, you know, if I think back to even late 90s on a domestic level, the internet was still very much a, a new thing. You know, it wasn't necessarily uh, widespread on a domestic level. It was coming in, certainly it had, it was in business, but um, we didn't have social media. We certainly didn't have TV streaming. Um, the requirements um, in comparison to what we use now, and I'm saying this for the younger generations who may not have been as aware in the late 90s and early 2000s um, of, of how much we have brought in in that time as well. Uh, it must have been an interesting time to see the developments. Yes, it was, um, you know, there was, it was SATCOM A, um, you know, which was an analog satellite technology, which was paid by the minute. I think, you know, it varied depending which ocean region, which satellite you were on between eight and 10 US dollars a minute. So, of course, that had to be monitored very carefully. You know, people were using, what was it, CompuServe accounts um, then to get their email, and that had to be looked after. And GSM was analog, so you would, you know, you would call your ISP, make a connection. So it was nothing like we see today, and there wasn't dedicated... Uh, internet lines that you, you dialed in, basically, uh, you didn't have 24 and 24/7 access to internet, and you wouldn't leave it on. And yeah, the VSAT, VSAT, for me, didn't come around until 1997, I think, on the, the new build of Aviva. So yeah, on Coral Island, it was. Well, it was as back as I started, far back as I st came into yachting. So it, it does seem a little archaic, but that's what it was when I started. Wow. Um, how long did you work in the industry before you kind of decided to move on land and what kind of pushed that de decision? Um, I was in the yacht industry on yachts from 94 to 2000. Um, with a short spell in Saudi Arabia. And between that, I was Coral Island, uh, new build Tagatsu, short stint in Saudi. There's another vessel then, the build of Aviva. So it was, a, you know, 94 to 2000. And it really wasn't a difficult decision. I think it's a lot different today um, with rotation, um, 
it was pretty clear for me that the position I was going to leave because it was 11 months on, one month off for ETOs, then or for me at least. I shared a cabin which was, you know, at some point, I mean, everyone would like to have their own cabin. So uh, not that I ever minded it too much because I I really enjoyed yachting and, and being part of that. I thought I was really privileged to get that opportunity, but eventually I grew a bit thick sharing a cabin and 11 on one off even when i say it today it sounds much worse than it felt back then but <laughs> it does it sounds intense particularly in in light of rotations which you know is just um a lot more common than I, I think in many ways an easier way to you know schedule a year but uh and so when you when you moved on land where did you begin i mean i know bond tm developed after but was it was it scary or was it you know what I'm I've had enough I'm ready for the next adventure or did you have a, a place you wanted to go or a job you had in mind already yeah I, I would say I was fortunate I had a bit of a soft landing rather than a cutthroat decision to quit yachting I did quit yachting when I when Aviva got to Australia for the 2000 Olympics, I just said, okay, I can't leave Sydney after coming here and, and see, you know, seeing my mum at the Opera House with a big sign, welcome home, son. Oh. I, I didn't, didn't have the heart to, to leave again. But um, I, I took a year, a year off to settle and I did find it difficult to settle and I missed, I did miss the comradeship of being at sea and, you know, all the things that I think you do take for granted. Um, and then I did get the lucky opportunity that um, project, the ecstasy project was about to start and they gave me the opportunity to do, I think, a two-year build. And what was interesting for me at that point was I was only interested in if I was effective in the decision-making process of the systems that were going to be installed because... I'd seen it, it I'd be, the idea had been developing in my head that it, when the owners would come on board, they weren't always satisfied with what it was. And I used to think, well, what were they getting wrong? Because they've had 36, 42 months to, for the build. And, you know, when you understand the process, it's not through, through lack of wanting, it's just the, the process of when, you know, a yacht is being contracted for build that, this can miss its target of finding out what the owner would want from an audiovisual IT security system, etc. So I went on to the ecstasy project and I told the captain, I'm very interested to do that two year process. And then I will sail with the vessel for a year and then I would get off. And as luck would have it, when I finished was we ecstasy was about to sail. Um, I then got the opportunity to go on to the Eclipse build, so the 162-metre Eclipse. And having already said that I wasn't terribly keen to go um, back on back to sea, but I was going to get my own cabin, which was very exciting <laughs> for me. <laughs> got to be some um, bonuses. <laughs> yeah, so I, I didn't mind, but then with the attraction of doing the same on Eclipse, deciding what systems go on board, coordinating all of that 
was very interesting for me. So then I moved on to this project and I, I quick, what happened was I quickly discovered that you can't do this properly. Well, I couldn't do it as a one man show. I, I just thought, you know, I, I could try to keep all the cards to myself, but you know, that is a very big build. There's a lot of technology. There are things that you need to keep on top of as well as coordinating, as well as looking at future technologies. So that's when I thought I could sell the idea of a consulting company to this project because one man on a new build of that capacity, I was going to, I didn't think I could do it properly. Uh, I didn't, and I thought it deserved, you know, if it was a four and a half year project, it deserved better than just myself. So I put together a the idea and I floated the idea to the management company back then. And it took them six, seven months of going back and forwards. And then they, I was kindly, let's say, released on very good terms and then came back and contracted Bond to the Eclipse project and then several other projects. And, you know, we grew quite quickly and I think what helped was I'd already had a reasonably good established name in the industry and yeah it it sort of came together with a lot of good Um, foundations and I I presume as well picking your you said you know it was too big a job for one man and that you know if you could bring in others to consult I'm presumably that was (coughs) the the birth of Bond TM but did you I mean, you kind of put it together for this project, but did you see the far-reaching possibilities of it at that stage? Or was it you found two or three people that you could work with well that had, you know, the skills you needed and it just kind of blossomed from this one project? Or had you kind of a five-year plan at that stage? Uh, That's a good question. And uh, and on many levels, on several levels, um, Yes, before I, excuse the pun, jump ship, <laughs> I, I interviewed uh, a few guys and floated the idea that they would work for Bond TM, a new company, um, you know, didn't make any illusions about <clears throat> what the company was, um, other than a, a new co, my idea. And I did get some, uh, you know, w- once I had those guys committed to starting with me then i felt i i had the right guys i had a mixture of um got uh, cruise ship guys guys that were in the in, had been already in the yacht industry one gentleman had just finished the octopus build and and two of those two guys are still with me um today said robin and norman yannick so you know they were employees number one and two you chose and, well they made a massive difference and and it basically allowed me to grow the business rather than doing the business when they started you know we it took me took me only a few meetings where i felt i've got to let these guys run that's why they came you know i couldn't overpower them or overdirect them or micromanage them so i let them i let them go and they they've been uh, terrific for the company ever since so, um, kind of moving to yacht crew who are 
considering transitioning off yachts at the at the moment or in the future. Um, what are the qualities from your experience that yacht crew can bring to professional life? I mean, your original team was sort of a mixture of industries. The, the cruise industry is quite a parallel in many ways with the yachting industry. But I mean, I, I kind of think sometimes from the people we've talked to, they can feel that, you know, they've got their certifications for yachting, but it can be difficult to see the other qualities they have outside that can translate into professional life. So, I mean, your case, it's a little bit more specific because it's quite technical, but of, of the kind of particular skills that you think that yacht crew build up in their experience, what would be the ones that would strike you in particular? Um, the level of service, I think there's two ways to, I think, to answer it is, one, if you're looking to get out of yachting and go land-based and take your skills into another area ashore or leave yachting and go land-based and still be um, involved with the yacht industry, you know, so shore-based services back to the yacht industry. I can, I can answer the latter better because I'm still involved with the yacht industry, so I haven't taken that step to go ashore and not be involved. So I think for me, the, the, I think the thing that the crew take um, from the yacht industry is the level of, the level of service that the owners, the captains, the management companies, everyone expects. Mm. And I don't think you can really appreciate that until you've been crew. I mean, you can be told it, but it is the crew's house that you're effectively that you're dealing with. So it's not a workplace they go home from and leave it. It's not like you turning up at their workplace and want to fix something and then they go home and they see you tomorrow. It's, you know, it's, mixed they, isn't it it's they live and breathe it every work. day so the sense of ownership is very high i feel and therefore that has to be respected when you're giving that back so if your yacht crew going ashore i feel that you know management companies or other service companies giving in service back to the industry they're well placed and i think well motivated to take x crew because they will see those very subtle nuances. Um, you know, when we take people um, from, you know, land-based, they always go with someone who's either been from a yacht or really experienced in bond, with, you know, dealing with the crew. And it, even from as little as, you know, make sure you say hello to the captain and chief engineer and the person you, you're there to visit before you start your job because it's their home. So you those, those little subtleties. And I think that's quite telling anyway. You see it in the industry, you know, the yacht management companies, maybe crew agencies, et cetera, they take um, X, X crew. I think the, the, more, the more difficult thing these days is the crew, with crew rotation, fewer people are leaving the yacht industry. There's less of a uh, transition, so to speak. Well, I don't think there's as... It, it's, it's more... I mean, it's a two-edged sword. I don't think I would have left yachting, to be honest, <laughs> if I would have had rotation. And the cabin. Already the, <laughs> and the cabin, yes, and the cabin. It, it, would have, it was already the best job in the world. It was just that side of things made it difficult. And 
I think I, I think it's quite telling. There's not too many, you know, a lot of ETOs. You can stay much longer in the industry. You can have a family much more easily than mm-hmm. 11 on one off. That wasn't ever going to work for me. Yeah. And, I mean, looking at the yachting industry, it's quite, I think it's quite a unique market in certain ways. You know, as I said, there's parallels with other industries, obviously, cruise industry and stuff. But um, from from building up Bond TM, what are the particular um, qualities that you would notice in the yachting industry that make it that make it different as you bring a product or a service to market? I think the personal relationships, well, that helps in your network at, at, any, at any rate helps a lot. So that doesn't differentiate itself between land-based and yachting. I think having, having the trust of some people that are in positions to give you that startup opportunity definitely it, it it helps i mean um you know i didn't get there without some luck and and uh, let's say some some help given the opportunity you have to take the opportunity but um specific for yacht crew back into the industry you, you have to have some let's say some mate not necessarily an angel investor but some people who would believe and, and would want to take your service or product or idea or whatever it is you're selling because at the at the end of the day you, if you're going to take that step you you need to make you need to make uh, a living f- from the idea because if it's if it doesn't make money then you can't live on it and then the business isn't isn't going to go very far so you have to have some people who will believe in the idea and and I tested the idea you know, a year before I, I started Bond, just because there was no consultancy for audiovisual IT systems. That, that just didn't exist. So it was a hard sell back then. Mm-hmm. And now, you know, now it's not convin- trying to convince or sell people why you should have consultancy. Now it's the industry's grown so much since we started. And, you know, other, if you have a good idea, people copy it and and, and they're doing that all, you know, in the industry. And that sort of validates the idea. And now the, I think the question is, who do I use rather than why do I need it? But that all came about because a few people backed me or would, be, you know, believe in the idea. So I think finding that, and that, that depends whether you, how you, you know, do a litmus test of the market, whether you do a survey or it depends on what the product is how you justify it to yourself that you have the belief that it will be something. Yeah, and I, I have to say as well, from our experience, at the relationships you build up, the people you know, the people you meet, it, it's a, I, I jokingly say, you know, being Irish, there's only two degrees of separation between most of us. You know, if, if you meet an Irish person at some stage, you find someone in common. And uh, this a similar thing has proved true with the yachting industry the amount of people we have talked to or been introduced to uh, you know initially as yacht crew you know there's bevy of people that you've worked with or met up with but as you build a business in the yachting industry 
similar pattern happens, you know, as, as the relationships that you build up and having some mentors along the way has been hugely helpful of, you know, because nobody's good at everything. So it's really good to have some people who can help guide you in what would be, you know, your weaker spots, certainly. Yes, def definitely. I think that's um, something I did uh, right at the beginning is I, I knew what I didn't, let's say, wasn't good at necessarily. I didn't have the business acumen that I would have wanted, but I had strong technical uh, abilities. Um, so I, I did immediately hire, who is still with me today, a tax advisor, a contracts lawyer, and a just a, a business mentor. And I would sit with them in the beginning because there was quite a lot in the beginning, not just starting the company and off we go, let's start selling the service. There was quite a plan behind it and and not suddenly coming up with something and then <clears throat> you know making a big noise about consultancy and then not being able to provide it to the people that you know may want it so there was a lot in the back a lot of thought went into the background that's not the case that may be necessary all the time but for me it was really important that I was going to approach it, it it's almost you engineer business you know mm. it's the same level so um, from the kind of perspective of Shark's Tank or Dragon's Den, depending where you are in the world, as a business advisor um, on, on this, if you were a potential investor and you had a budding entrepreneur, you know, pitching to you, what would you be listening out for that you would be pegging of, you know, this guy seems to make sense because I can hear whether it's how he's um, how he's looked at the funding or the time or what would be the things you'd be looking out for? A clever approach to something that has looks like that's had a status quo with it for a, a long for you know for a time that no one's approached it in a different way that that would interest me let's say his enthusiasm his, his or her enthusiasm and if it was in the yacht industry, how many years they had, let's say, soaked up the feel of, of yachting. Um, because those nuances are easily lost on someone who hasn't been in the yacht industry. So someone who had been in the yacht industry would be able to pick that, oh, yeah, that would be a good idea, that would work for crew. So a new clever approach to something that perhaps hasn't... Uh, you know, been turned on its head, mm -hmm. for example, and it's not just coming up with a service because you can do it cheaper than everyone else. So I'm not a big fan of, let's say, a, a race to the bottom on pricing, but a, a clever approach to a, a, a new idea and the enthusiasm of the person because you are going to be hit with some difficult things and, you know, the let's say the resolve of the person not giving up after you know, two or three knockdowns that they'll get back up and, and keep going. That's, let's say, that's the personal traits yeah, um, no, I think, that I'd be looking for. And also, I, th I think you need to the enthusiasm to sustain you as well, because, you know, sometimes it will work, sometimes it won't, but it can take a while to really be seen as being established in the industry as well. So, you know, the 
perception, it, it was one of the things I chatted with John about of, you know, there's lots of companies that come and they have a great idea, but um, you need to kind of show the staying power. And in order to keep with the staying power, I think you need to have a tremendous amount of enthusiasm and belief in what you're doing when, you, when you're starting, because it can take a while before you're really recognized as where you want to be. Correct. And you know, that's you know, it's why some businesses require, let's say, an angel investor to get to that point, um, get, get past that point of break even, and, and then move into the profit area um, and and that's then sustainable and that that can take a period of time which people shouldn't be necessarily scared of but you have to be aware of where you're going with that when you excuse me start the business and what does it take to get to that point um, of sustainability because depending you know if you're building a product then obviously there's a lot of r&d costs etc if you're providing a, a relatively simple service straight away such as consulting which we did in the beginning that I, it was you know i had to uh, fund the or finance the employee salaries in the beginning and then they had to make we had to generate that into billable hours etc so um yeah it depends what segment you're getting into but that enthusiasm you're also selling your idea so mm. you need you need to be able to sit there and sell your idea to the people who you're hoping that we'll buy it. Yeah, which is in itself a a unique skill as well. You know, it's not something everyone naturally has. Certainly to be able to do it with enthusiasm, you know, you can learn a certain amount on your feet. But, you know, it's one of the things of when building up their business plan, um, I think the awareness of... I mean, you can have a fantastic business plan in concept, um, but it's it's a longer path to where you have your business established. And I think, as you said, time and funding can be the the two difficult paths sometimes because sometimes it can take longer than you think, or sometimes it can take more money or investment than you were wanting to. So. I presume, you know, when when you're advising people as they're kind of going from concept to business, kind of keep those two big things in mind. Is there anything else you'd kind of throw in there as they're kind of trying to move from concept to is this really a business? Well, the, the um, concept would, let's say, I don't have a broad brush, uh, let's say, plan for, for every business. I would look at each Business and I have been involved now with with several. So I, you know, we, we always start at ground zero, and and look at the opportunities. You know, we do a SWOT analysis, etc. And I think one of the key things where you can see money go very quickly, and it's the most one of the most painful things, is what you decide how to spend. If you and I put sales budget in in with marketing, if you have a marketing budget so where to place that Mm. and is part of that getting a salesman because you know that that can go very quickly and you expect a return on you know if you're employing salesmen and if you're not then how do you get your message across and then it's marketing and then you know if you're in print 
that can that can go very quickly and you know everyone's everyone's very quick to to, to say you know that this is the reach we have to our readers but it's um you know i think everyone does it I, I used to do it more because i think it was a fear of missing out of not doing it because the others are doing it so i should do it but i think i would be let's say on on the costs because when you're you know you start your business you really need to manage be able to manage your costs because that's that was that's what will stop the business very quick because if you if you have no costs and little income you can get by on your savings or the capital that you put in but if you have significant costs then that will go very quickly and you know I'm, and i'm not dissing marketing but you need to do that effectively no, I think it. I mean, it's, it's what you said of it, you can get your name out there, but whether that translates into sales, I mean, ultimately for any company, what you need is the sales to come in in order to be able to grow the company. So you can have great marketing and get your name out, but unless that's actually translating into people buying your product, um, and there's different approaches, um, but. I think you also need to have that, you know, one or two experts in really effectively being able to bring in the sales as well. The the two need to go hand in hand. Yes, you, and it depends what's driving the sales. I mean, if, you know, if but perhaps the, you know, I, I used to do it myself. I, I would go to the shipyards. I would go to the captains, and um, we were only three, you know, in the first three four months. So. You know, I didn't have to sell, you know, and, and we had long-term projects. So it depends if you're selling piecemeal products or a, an ongoing service. But, um, you know, I think now I've been involved with let's, several companies where, let's say, the the view is quite um, wide on, on the types of services that they have, we deliver or I've, I've been exposed to. So I feel... I hope I can contribute in a, in a positive way to the uh, Shark Tank um, that I'm getting involved with. Well, I think, uh, you know, going back to having people early on to mentor, to hear the views, to help kind of guide you a lovely idea, but it, have you actually done research if there's a market for this? Or, I, I mean, all of that, I think, in the initial stages, the more you can have people throwing out questions and, and developing the idea as solidly as you can, the stronger your platform is as you as you launch out. Yeah, and it's to help minimize minimize the amount of mistakes and minimize the risk. Because you, you will make mistakes and there is risk. So, you know, if I'm able to help or, you know, with the, the other people involved it, with this, um, you know, hopefully we can we can help and you know, help them uh, deliver a new service or what their new business into into the art industry and and you know if, if that's what they want to find a way out uh, of the yacht business and and go ashore then you know I'm, I'm more than happy to to be part of that and help and and help that help them and you know, pass on whatever experience that may seem valuable to them my mistakes are also perhaps valuable that I've gone through so uh, that, we'll see that's true of learning by the mistakes but it it's nice to have someone guide you as you get there so 
Will, uh, thank you so much for joining us today. It was it was really interesting hearing actually the start of Bontiem. You know, it's one of the biggest brands in the industry for communications, and it, I love hearing how people started out. You know, everyone starts somewhere, and I think it should give great confidence to those who are considering it that there is help along well, the way and. And sometimes hearing the story of where one person started and built up can give great encouragement. Yes, well, thank you for having me on the show and the opportunity uh, to be on your show. And thank, thank you very much. This is Life After Yachting, the new portal to help you yacht crew move from onboard to onshore. Life After Yachting by TUVYC, created to help yacht crew move from onboard to onshore careers. From Palma de Mallorca to the global super yacht community, Super Yacht Radio.